So for those of you who are visiting us today, uh, my name is Cha, and I'm one of the elders here at Beacon of Hope. Uh, along with me are my fellow elders, uh, Marlon Jones, uh, Greg Clemens, and Pastor Steve Linetti. He is our senior pastor, so he does most of the preaching. But uh, once in a while, he does give us the opportunity to come before you and uh, preach. So I thank you for that privilege. You will find that at Beacon here, the preaching is going to be text-driven, God-exalting, Christ-centered, uh, spirit-empowered, exegetically grounded, theologically precise, passionately delivered and logically ordered, boldly declare, and evangelistically aim. So that's different components you're going to see, whether Grace preaching, Martin's preaching, Pastor's preaching, I'm preaching. You're going to find those marks in our preaching. So if you would open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible, the updated edition, and I'll read from verse 1 to verse 3. So Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary, and loose heart. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I stand before you with fear and trembling because your word said, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing for such as will incur a stricter judgment. So Father, Help me to be clear, speaking of your word to your people, not mine. And enable the hearts that need to hear and to be transformed and to change. So, Father, that we may glorify you through the preaching of your word and live a life that honoring to you. We pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. So, what I'm thinking of doing is just give you a little short introduction of the book of Hebrews. It is obvious the divine author, we know who the divine author is. But the human author is unknown. The book of Hebrews is an epistle letter. And its title takes the traditional Greek title to the Hebrews. However, there is no identification of the recipients, either Hebrews or Gentiles. The traditional title Hebrews has been maintained since the epistle is filled with references to Hebrew history, religions, religion, and does not address any particular Gentile or pagan practice. 
The purpose of the book of Hebrews was to wean the Jewish believers in Jesus Christ from depending on the law of Moses or the Old Covenant, represented by the Old Testament as the final rule of faith, of life. In order to do that, the author emphasized the supremacy of Jesus Christ, both in his person and his work. The author also showed that the essential weakness of the old covenant, which was obsolete, obsolete in God's redemptive plan. The book of Hebrews contrasts between the imperfect, incomplete provisions of the old covenant given under Moses and the infinitely better provisions of the new covenant offered by the perfect high priest, God's only son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God's provision for that perfect priest and sacrifice in Christ is the central message of the book of Hebrews. Let me say that again. God's provision for that perfect priest and sacrifice in Christ is the central message of the book of Hebrews. One of the key theological themes in Hebrew is that all believers now have access, direct access to God under the new covenant and therefore may approach the throne of God boldly. That is found in Hebrews 4.16 and 10.22. The book of Hebrews is truly Christ-centered in all its teaching. The key thought, it's better, better. The word itself is used 12 times and demonstrated many times more. Salvation in Christ is so much better than everything in Judaism, all which was intended to prepare for and point to Christ. In the book of Hebrews, we see Jesus Christ is both God's agent of creation and the one for whom the universe is created. We see Jesus Christ is better than angels, Moses, and the Hebrews high priests. We see Jesus Christ make a better sacrifice, establish a better covenant, and guarantee that the old way is obsolete. We see Jesus Christ is the source of our faith and the one who brings it to perfection. We see Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We also see that faith is a better way to live. That faith It's a better way to live. Before we dive into our text, let me introduce the word metaphor because it will help us to better understand our passage in its context. Metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase literally denoting the kind of object or idea 
is used used in place of another to suggest a likeness or analogy between them. We see that metaphor is often used in Bible to effect, uh, effectively communicate or teach certain principles. We find it in the New Testament where a great number of metaphors are repeatedly used to compare Christian living to things, events, and or practices. For example, Jesus spoke of his followers as light and salt in the world. Matthew 5, 13, 16. Peter referred to believers as babes and as living stones. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul several times compared Christian living to warfare. Paul counseled believers to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3 And to put on a, the full armor of God. Ephesians 6.11 Paul often referred himself as a slave or a bond servant of Christ in several of his letters. Romans 1.1 1, 1, Philippians 1.1 1, 1, Titus 1.1 1, 1, in addition, Paul was particularly fond of the figure of the race. He used, he used a phrase such as run in a race, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Running well, Galatians 5.7. And run in vain, Philippians 2.16. Likewise, the author of Hebrews used metaphor to compare Christian living to a race. As mentioned in our text, keep this in mind as we go through the passage. Let's look at our text. As you can see the outline in your bulletin, I titled the sermon is of this running the Christian race of faith. And you see in the first verse one, you will see the superstars. You'll see the struggle. You'll see the strategy. Verse two, you will see the focus, the finish. In verse three, you will see the exhortation and the end goals. So let's look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great of a cloud, a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin in which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Therefore, what is the therefore? Is therefore. That's the question, right? Therefore points back to the faithful, all the faithful saints and their faith. That was described in many of the verses in chapter 11, stating, by faith, by faith, by faith. And faith is defined in verse 1 as the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So faith is defined as the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Let's look at the superstars. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. A cloud of witnesses are all those faithful saints 
just mentioned in chapter 11. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and unnamed prophets, men, and women. These are believers who lived the life of faith. These are believers who lived the life of faith. As described in chapter 11, those faithful saints, they opposed Pharaoh, they forsook the pleasures and prerogatives of Pharaoh's court. They passed through the Red Sea, shouted down the wall of Jericho, conquered kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, received back their dead by resurrection, were tortured, mocked, scourged in prison, stoned, sawn into two, had to dress in animal skin, were made destitute, all for the sake of their faith. So the idea of a cloud of witnesses surrounding us is not that we should be faithful for the fear that the faith heroes would be disappointing in us or that we should try to impress them like a sports team trying to impress the fans in the bleachers. The faithful saints are witnesses to God. They are not not spectators, but examples for us. They have proved by their testimony, their witness, that life, the life of faith, is the only life to live. That the life of faith is the only life to live. All these great believers from the past who had lived the life of faith would be one of the greatest motivations and encouragements to us. Nothing is more encouraging than the successful example of someone who has done it, who has done it. Nothing is more example, uh, more example such as someone who has done it. You see, seeing how God has been with them encourages us to trust that God, He will also be with us. The same God who was their God is our God. The God of yesterday is the God of today and tomorrow. Because we have the same God, he can do the same things through us if we trust in him. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us that's the struggle. It is believed that let us may be used to refer to the Jews who have made a profession of Christ but have not gone all the way to full faith. They have not yet begun the Christian race which starts with salvation to which the author of, the he- author of Hebrew is calling them. However, the truth is, this applies to all believers, to all believers. The Greek word, lay aside, is also translated, put off, lay down, cast off, 
put away, laid away. The biblical usage is that is to put away, cast off, is laid apart, put away. We see that same Greek word, lay aside, used in the following scriptures. Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Colossians 3, 8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Believers, we are to lay aside encumbrance and sin and run the Christian race of faith. That's what we are to do. The meaning of encumbrance is simply a bulk or a mass of something. It is not necessarily bad in itself. Often, it is something perfectly innocent and harmless. But it weighs us down, diverts our attention, saps our energy, dampers our enthusiasm for the things of God. The problem is not what the weight is, but is what it does keep us from running well and therefore from winning. winning. The author of Hebrews did not make known exactly what sort of things he had in mind regarding spiritual encumbrances. And commentators venture a host of ideas. From the context of the letter as a whole, it is suggested the main encumbrance was Judaistic legalism, which hanging on to the old religious ways. Most of those ways were not wrong in themselves. Some had been prescribed by God for the time of the old covenant. But none of them was of any value now. And in fact, had become hindrances. They were sapping energy and attention from Christian living. And the sin which so easily entangles us, the Greek word for sin here is hamatia which translates sin in 172 times and then sinful and offense. The biblical definition of sin is to miss the mark, to err, to be mistaken, to wander from the law of God, violate God's law, that which is done wrong or a violation of the divine law. Listen to this in thought or in act. Think about that. Don't think something bad bad of somebody. The use of the definite article, the sin, seems to indicate indicate a particular sin. And if there is one particular sin that hinders the Christian race, of faith, listen, it is unbelief, doubting God, doubting God, doubting God and living in faith contradict each other. Doubting God entangles the believer's feet so that he cannot run. Unbelief wraps itself around us believers so that we trip 
and stumble every time we try to move for the Lord. It is easily entangle us when we allow sin in our lives, especially unbelief. It is quite easy for Satan to keep us from running. You might ask, what about other sins, not necessary unbelief? What about habitual sin? Obviously, all sin is a significant hindrance. To Christian living. And the reference here may be to sin in general. The Greek phrase easily entangle is translate, translated as which does so easily beset. The biblical usage is besetting such as to prevent or retard running as it is used in Hebrews 4.1. Why does sin so easily entangle us? Why? It is the nature of man, even the nature of a believer, to be easily entangled in sin. There are certain sins which more easily entangle each of us than other ones. Each of us in our own life has certain propensities for specific kinds of sins. Because in our spiritual weakness, even after becoming believers, we continue to develop habits of certain types of sin, certain specific sins that we now find more easily than others do entangle us. Just think about in your own life, what is one of the sins that you just can't shake it off? Come back again and again. It is true that every believer, that we have certain sins that has easily captured us. But it's also true that in general, sins is easily just entangles us. Not all sins are what we could call our personal sin, besetting sin, or habitual sins. These are sins which we commit. Now listen to this. These are sins we, which we commit and confess and then commit again and then confess and then commit again and then confess and go on and on that way in our lives. Some sins fall into this category. But in general, all sin appears to have control of us. Three reasons why sin so easily entangles us. One, sin is powerful. Sin is powerful. Sin has great power over our flesh. The reason it so easily entangles us is because of its power, its strength, its force. Sin exerts strong influence on our will, emotions, and affections. Think about, think about how many times you say, I feel, I feel that way. I feel I should do that. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The foothold that sin has with its power is our flesh, our flesh. 
Sins exerts tremendous power and tremendous strength against our flesh. It is very powerful force, and it finds our flesh a very willing ally in a very receptive environment. That's what sin finds in us. Number two, sin is near in that it is in us. Sin is so close to us. It is within us. More than just forcing its way from the outside powerfully on our flesh, it forces its way on our flesh as it were from the within us from within the very flesh. It is our being. It is our being. We may become a monk and sit in a cave. And we will still deal with sin. Jeremiah 13, 23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to do evil, doing evil. The point being, we can no more change the internal sinfulness that is part of our life than the leopard can change its, his spots or the Ethiopian can change the color of his skin. It is part of what we are. Sin is very powerful and finds a willing ally in our flesh because our flesh is fallen and our flesh itself has propensities towards sin. I like, I like this uh, verse when people say, follow your heart or listen to your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, said this about our heart. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So don't follow your heart. Number three, sin is not completely separated. Sin does not remain separated. It mingles in our motives and all our actions. We cannot draw a line and say this. Where our righteousness ends and this where our sinfulness begins. It has a way of weaving into itself into the fabric of our duties and all our motives and all our thoughts and our actions. It entangles itself with our purposes and our plans. Listen to this. In fact, even your best deed is mixed with sin. Your best deed is mixed with sin. It is entangled. It is tangled up with in our lives. Romans 7, 24, Paul cries out, and we read that this morning, Oh, wretched man that I am. Why? Because no matter how we try, we cannot disentangle ourselves from sin. So what we are what 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 are we going to do? Well, we are going to be the kind of believers God would want us to be, as stated in Hebrews twelve one. <clears throat> and let us lay aside the sin which so easily entangle entangles us. Put it aside. Put it away. Now the question comes, how do we do that? There are several places in the scripture where we are commanded 
to do that. Second Corinthians seven one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Ephesians four twenty two. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in, in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Romans 6.12 Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its, its lusts. First Peter 2.1 Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. We are committed, beloved, by Scripture, to lay aside sin. We know from Scripture, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it said in Galatians 5, 16, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts. Of the flesh. We give all the credit of this to the Holy Spirit, and yet there is a responsibility that is ours as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we yield to the Holy Spirit. How do we lay Aside sin, lay aside sin from a practical standpoint. Three practical principles that will help us to lay aside sin. And this is not an exhausted list. <clears throat> Number one, don't underestimate the seriousness of our sin. Don't underestimate the seriousness of our sin. The major reason we don't deal with sin strongly and firmly because we underestimate its seriousness first and foremost to God, to us, to those who we love and fellowship, to the church, and even to the unbelievers. Sin ruins fellowship with God hinders our prayers, brings discipline of God, steals joy, robs us of peace, renders our service useless, diminishes fruitfulness, mitigates against our effectiveness in evangelism. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, I didn't like to talk. But the Lord placed in my own heart to evangelize. And I, that's way out of my comfort zone to talk about Jesus to other people. But every time I go out there, I had this sin in my own life that I had to deal with. And I felt just the burden when I stand before somebody and I say, God loves you. God would forgive you because God did for me. And yet I have one person in my own life that I could not forgive this person. And that caused me to humble myself and to go to this person and reconcile. Then I could evangelize without having that heavy load on my shoulder. So think about that. We must understand the serious seriousness of our sin. It violates first and foremost our relationship with the Lord. Sin is sin. Treat our sin seriously because it dishonors God, abuses mercy, and despises grace. It presumes on forgiveness. It defiles worship, worship, service, and fellowship. 
It stains, taints, poisons, and destroys every good thing and holiness. Number two, be immediate repentant over our lapses. Matthew 26, 75 says, And Peter remembered the word which the Lord has said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He says that Peter, having, having obviously been aware of his sin, and at the crowing of the rooster, went out and wept bitterly. That is very admirable. We may criticize Peter for his defection, but we must also honor and respect him for his immediate remorse. Be immediately, immediately repent over our lapses and go back to the place of confession. Repentance is not only say, I am sorry, Lord, forgive me. It is saying, I am sorry, Lord, forgive me, and I don't want to ever do that again. That is real repentance. If the third element, I don't ever want to do that again, is not there, then we are fooling God about our genuineness or lack of genuineness. When we confess our sins and we say, I'm sorry I did that, please forgive me. I don't ever want to do that again. Name that specific sin. Name the sin and let our own heart and even our own ears hear the naming of that sin so that we develop in our heart a high degree of accountability with God for having named that very sin for which he is holding us accountable not to commit again. That is how we develop accountability and the fear of God. Accountability and the fear of God. Number three, meditate on the word. Listen to what Psalm 37, 31 says. The law of his God in, is in his heart. His steps do not slip. When the heart is controlled by the word, the steps don't slip. Another familiar scripture dealing with meditation is Psalm 119. 199. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. How can we lay aside sin? How can we win this battle? By keeping it according to your word, God's word. By guarding with scripture. It is the constant input of the word of God that being, be, uh, begins to fill up the mind and control the thinking. And that alone becomes the strength and resource in us that can resist the initial impulses of the flesh. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured or hid it or kept in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119.10 Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It is the scripture that must be meditated on. We must always study the word, learn the word, and meditate on the word as we get the word so filling us up so that it dwells in us richly. We will find that it will control us. 
Let's look at the strategy. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The key phrase here is verse twelve one. It applies to all believers, even though even those who are already running the race. Believers are to run in the race with endurance. Don't give up. The biblical usage of the word run is to run such a person runs in a race or as a metaphor taken from runners is to exert oneself, strive hard to spend one's strength in performing and, and attaining something to incur extreme peril, peril which requires the exertions of one of all one's effort to overcome. Endurance is a steady, the steady determination to keep going. It means continuing even when everything in us wants to slow down or give up. This race is a marathon, a long-distance race, not a sprint, a sprint. There will be obstacles, weariness, exhaustion, but we must endure if we are to win the Christian race of faith. The Greek word, word for race is argon, which we get agony. A race is not a thing passively luxury, but is demanding something grueling and agonizing. It requires our utmost in self-discipline, determination, and perseverance. Unfortunately, many believers could hardly be described as running the race at all. Some merely jogging, some are walking slowly, some are sitting or even lying down. Lying down. Yet the biblical for holiness, for holy living, is a race, not a morning stroll. Believers are to run the race that is strenuous and continuous. The competition of Christian race, of course, is different from that of an athletic race in two ways. First, we are not to compete against each other. Not trying to outdo each other in righteousness, recognition, or accomplishments. Our is not a race of work, but a race of faith. A race of faith. We compete by faith, not with each other. Our competition is against Satan, his world system, and our own sinfulness, often referred as the flesh. Second, our strength is not ourselves, but in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we could never endure. We're not called on to endure in ourselves, but in Him. As long as we are trusting God and doing what He wants us to do, Satan and sin have no power over us. They have no way of getting to us or hinders, hindering us. And when we run in the power of God's Spirit, we run successfully, and we will win. Verse 2, the focus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's no better place to start our Christian race of faith than this phrase found in Hebrews 2. 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus Christ is the only one who in his divine in who in his striving against sin and never fail he was in all points tempted like us as we are yet he was without sin he never failed he never succumbed he was striving with sin even to death and never fail 
He is our model and example. If we are going to look at somebody as a model, a model, look at Jesus Christ. In running, as most sports, we, where we look is extremely important. Focus is, is the key. Christian race is very much the same. Some of us may be too occupied with ourselves, may be selfish. We may not be selfish, full of ourselves, but we pay too much attention to what we are doing. There's a place for that, but our focus should not be on ourselves. We should focus on the Lord. If we focus on, on our other, most of the time we will stumble. We're bound to stumble because when we focus truly on Christ, then we will see everything in the right perspective. When our eyes are on the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit has the perfect opportunity to use us to get us running and winning. The author and perfecter of our faith. I just want to say this. Jesus Christ is our preeminent example of faith. He was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 Jesus lived the supreme life of faith. When the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, we reply each time with the expressions of trusting in God, his word. Jesus would not bypass his father, his father's will, just to get food. He would wait until the ordeal was over and his father supplied his need. Jesus trusted his father for everything in everything. Jesus is not the only the author of faith, but also its perfecter, the one who carries through completion. He continues to trust his father until he could say, it is finished, John 13, John 19, 30. Also along with this word, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit were Jesus' last words before he died. Just, Jesus' work was finished not only in that it was complete, but in that it was perfected. It was perfected. The finish. For the joy said, before him, endure the cross, despising the shame, and set down the right hand, of uh, the throne of God. Jesus did not run his race of faith for the pleasure of the race itself. Though he must experience great satisfaction seeing people healed, comforted, brought to faith, and start on the way of spiritual growth. And Jesus' high priest prayer, he said to his father, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given to me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world. And when Jesus went through the cross, he endured all that is demand. He despised the shame, except his willingness. He accepted willingly for the sake of his father's reward and the joy that anticipation of that reward brought. As we run this race, a Christian life, we can run the joy in the joyful anticipation of that same reward the crown of righteousness, which one day we can cast at his feet as evidence 
of eternal love for Jesus Christ. Verse 3. The exhortation and then end goal. For consider this. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. I'm just going to read from Matthew. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. And this is just to see, I'm going to remind you the mockery that Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and Savior of the world, received from sinners while hanging on the cross. So verse 35, Matthew 27. And, and when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging uh, their, their, uh, their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God and let God rescue him. Now, if he delights in him, for he has said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. So that you see, when we get weary in the race, when our faith runs out and we think God has turned his back, when, we, when it seems we never get out of the mess we are in and we are sure our faith cannot hold any longer, we must consider Jesus who endures such hostility by sinner against himself. Jesus is the epitome of one who lived by faith. So let me encourage with you as we go the end goals here. Do not get weary and lose heart. As a believer, when God granted us saving faith and we came to Christ, we were delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved, beloved Son, Colossians 1.13. We now possess His righteousness, Corinthians 5.21, and share His eternal inheritance. We became a new creation in Christ, alive in Him, enslaved to God, and a recipient of divine grace, all these blessings and many more are ours and because we are in Christ. Because we are in Christ, let our end goals, let the end goals of our Christians race be. Right now, we rejoice that we can live, we can live like Jesus, but that one day, one day, we will live together with him. First Thessalonians 5.10. Number two, that we could say with Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now, I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 And final, that let your personal goal be. May we be like Paul when our time comes. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Second Timothy 4, 7. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, I just pray that all of us would be encouraged as we're running our raise our faith and we're not competing against one another but we run for the price that Jesus has done and that we would have the same desire and that one day Father when we stand before you we could say as Paul said that we have fought the good fight we have finished the course, and that we have kept the faith. Thank you, for in Jesus' name we pray, amen.